0: Good. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, one thing I did forget to announce also, and it's it's a sad notice actually, is uh, Sarah. Where's Sarah? Sarah Kim only has two more Sundays with us. So we are going to... Um, one more. Next week? Next week's the last week. Brilliant. Well, not brilliant. Sad, actually. Um, so Sarah's only got this Sunday next Sunday with us, so I'd really encourage you to get around, Sarah, maybe today or next Sunday. We'll give her a call through the week to really uh, thank her and uh, pray that God blesses her as she uh, embarks on a bit of a trip around the world and um, back to Korea from there. So Sydney then around the world. But anyway, next week we'll um, have some more to say about you then, Sarah. So please make sure you get to uh, say goodbye to Sarah at least today if you're not going to be here next week or uh, definitely next week as well. So we are sadly going to miss her, but but more about that for next week. Okay, we are going to get back to the book of Philippians today. It's, we've had a bit of a, a um, three-week um, sort of journey on other places. We had Easter and a few things happening there, and I was away for a wedding. And then uh, we had our missions launched last week that um, uh, we did, and we wanted to get that happening. So now we're going to get back to the book of Philippians, where we started a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, Philippians uh, is a letter that uh, Paul the Apostle wrote to uh, the church in Philippi. Uh, Paul was in a Roman prison. It's what we call one of the prison letters. Uh, He was in a really difficult place, but uh, Paul writes a lot about joy. And we've titled our series uh, Joy in Hard Places, which is exactly what we find in Philippians as uh, Paul reflects upon the gospel and allows Jesus Christ to sort of work through his life and transform every aspect of his life. So uh, we're going to get back to it today. So if you've got your Bibles, um, get into Philippians. But uh, before we get to that point, though, what does the world see when it looks in upon the church? What should it see when it looks in upon the church? Uh, Does it see a community of people living in a different way? Is there something distinctive about Christians that sets them apart in some particular way as the world uh, may look in on the church? Is there something really distinctive there that uh, is really easily seen? Should followers of Jesus shine in a darkened world? Now, well, Paul's going to have us look at that today in Philippians chapter 2. So have you got that there? Open up to chapter 2, and we'll just read the verses uh, 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence... holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that we can come and gather around your word now. We ask and pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come and bring power to this word. I pray that you would open up our hearts to hear, our eyes to see, our minds to receive, and uh, give us enlightenment of this word so that, Lord, it would change us, that you would transform us into the image of Christ with this and you would shine this light into our hearts so this light can then shine out of our lives. Help us to see it as God who wills, and works in us for his good pleasure. Father, we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Philippian church of this time uh, was having some challenges that they were facing. It's a body of Christians that Paul has planted, and he's deeply affectionate for. He loves the Philippian church, and uh, he really has derived great joy from them in their faith in following Christ. But they're dealing with a few issues also at the same time. Uh, we saw earlier that there were some guys uh, preaching the gospel from impure motives while Paul's in prison it's sort of somehow seeking to afflict him or make Paul jealous or something. That didn't faze Paul though. He was happy as long as Christ was proclaimed. That's good for me, Paul says. What then was Paul's uh, response to that? Back at the start of the book, also in Philippians 1.28, we saw there was some sort of opponents at the Philippian church. And we're not sure where they are opponents within the church or just opponents in the town itself who were opposing the church. We don't know, but there was some sort of challenge or drama happening there with that. We haven't got to it yet, but in Philippians 3.2, Paul says, look out for the dogs. We'll get to that in a few weeks time, what Paul's at it, getting at. But he's actually talking about people there who are promoting a works-based salvation and um, following Judaism uh, laws and, and principles. And again, later on in Philippians 4, Paul's urging Judea and Cynthia to agree on something. So obviously there's a disagreement about them there. So there's showing there there's there's a few challenges or a few dramas here despite the immense joy that Paul derives out of this body of church. Uh, And it's like any other church. It has its dramas. It really does. Uh, There is no perfect church. The moment you or I step into a church, we bring our baggage with us and we make that church imperfect if it was already perfect because we're not perfect ourselves. That's just what happens. But this is an incredible picture of God's grace here about the church. It's not about bringing good people together who can now look down upon the rest of society and hope they would become like us or weren't or were, should be like us. It's not about these good people coming together. It's about the church bringing broken people together who are saved by the gospel, filled with the spirit and being transformed by Jesus Christ and being remade into his image. It's not about good people looking down, but it's about broken people coming together. That's what the church is. We are all a project. We are all a project. We are all a project that God is working on. Out of God's love and grace, He's rebuilding us into the people He's made us to be. He's made us to be. And this is precisely where the Philippian church is. It's a work in progress. An exchange church is no different. It's a work in progress as God continues to work on us. God's crafting us for His glory in this progressive work He's doing with us. So here we find Paul's famous, much loved call to them. He says, Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's sort of the key point we'll be looking at here today as we look at this passage of Scripture. It's a glorious promise and truth for us here when we begin to understand here what it is that God is doing, willing and working within us. And the whole idea of this willing and working within us is so that we shine like lights in the world, in a darkened world. Um, yeah, there are some kids packs too, sorry I didn't forgot to mention that before, if parents are looking for that, our kids church will be back again next week when school term starts. So if you are looking for some kids packs, there's a few down there at the back. So here we are, we're going to look at God's willing and working in us so that we can shine like lights uh, in a darkened world. So let's, uh, let's jump in here and uh, make a start. If we look carefully here at these verses, you'll see a work out in verse 12. You see there's something worked out, working out. And then in verse uh, 13, there's like a works in. It sort of gives us this pattern here of working something out that's already been worked in. In other words, it's a bit like when you get a glass of water and you drop in a couple of drops of red cordial. You work the red cordial in. What does it do? It sort of just... Spreads, doesn't it? It Just sort of goes and fills the whole thing. It's just this working in and then working out. Firstly, they want to look at this worked in, worked in. Here, as we think about this, it says there in verse thirteen: "For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure." Paul is simply saying for you, the Philippians here at Philippi, two thousand years ago roughly, or the believers here at Exchange Church, Shepherd in two thousand eighteen. The Holy Spirit has miraculously worked in you, in you, the life saving message of the gospel. The Holy Spirit's unveiled the message of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done at the cross. He's unveiled the whole life of who Jesus is and the whole, as it were, unpacking of what the Old Testament was all about. And for the, for the Philippians now, what the New Testament was about to work out. It's a miracle of the new birth. We can't describe in sort of step-by-step motion what takes place. But we know that it's a miracle that the Holy Spirit does, alone, without our help. All of a sudden, our eyes are opened up to who Jesus Christ is, who the truth of what he's done and what he's achieved for us. And in this new birth, in this working in, in the initial initial phase of what we call conversion... Our hard drive, our central core, the control centre of who we are, which makes us do things or makes us think or whatever it might be, this hard drive or central core is totally reorientated. It's totally changed. The direction is totally renewed from where it was to now where it is when God does this work within us. Our thinking and our desires have a new direction. Something principally, primarily has changed within us when God works into us. By his Holy Spirit, the message of the gospel. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 captures this sort of change here for us really well. Even when we were dead in our trespasses prior to God working into us the gospel, then it says in Ephesians, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. That's a great passage there in Ephesians. We are dead in our sins, we are dead spiritually. God works into us by the Holy Spirit, the message of the gospel, and we become alive. All of a sudden, we're alive to who Christ is and the truth of the gospel. It's like a death-to-life experience. This is what's been worked in. The principle or the core of us has changed. It's taken a deep change deep within us. Now, this might look differently for all sorts of people, as in the rate of change. I mean, the same new birth occurs to everybody, But some people may have a rapid sort of growth or progression in the gospel. Others might be slow and incremental. doesn't make any difference in the sense of what God has done, but there might be slight changes in the pace of how it begins to work itself out in our lives. But regardless of that, the Holy Spirit has resided supernaturally deep within us, unfolding the message of the gospel. This is something worked in by God initially and primarily. Okay, this also now gets worked out. What has been, what has and is being worked in, now must be worked out. And this is Paul's great call to the Philippians here in uh, verse 12. He says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is saying, now this principal core has been changed within you. The hard drive has been transformed. Now let it translate or let it work out through your life. Let it actually move through every part of who you are. Be transformed and changed by the Spirit working through the Gospel. Put it into action. Work it out. Let the Gospel change and renew your thinking. Let the Gospel change and renew your speech. Let the gospel change and renew your actions. Work it out through every aspect of your life. Paul's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying work it out, what God has already done in you. Work it out through all of your life. Nothing is untouched by this transforming work that the Holy Spirit does through the gospel. It's to be worked out in every aspect of who we are. Nothing is left uh, untouched by this. And that's simply what Paul is saying here in these first couple of verses. God's worked something in, primarily, initially, centrally. Now we work it out through our lives. It's really critical, though, that we get this principle. It's really critical that we understand here about this idea of working in and working out. The principle is that God is the author of our salvation from start to finish, From the very first time that our eyes are opened up till we breathe our last here upon earth, God is the prime mover in our lives, in salvation, carrying out his salvation purposes for us. It's really critical that we grasp that and we get that. Because sometimes many of us can get overwhelmed by fear and doubt about the circumstances we face now or sometimes even the future ahead of us. Some people are really bound up by these things. Some people can't even leave their home sometimes because of fear of the future or fear of actually what's happening today. They just get so caught up in that fear, it paralyzes them. Now, how will I get through this prolonged sickness of my child I'm facing? Sometimes that's a paralyzing fear for some people. How will I ever cope with this job redundancy I've just received? Some people just actually get shriveled up and they just can't do anything when that begins to happen to them. How will I get through life... When my kids have left home and I'm all alone, now some might be saying, "Yeah, I'm going to do that real easy." No, no. But others cope, others struggle with that because they get their life built in and wrapped around their kids, and they think it's going to be crazy if I'm all on my own. I can't handle this, and it becomes a paralysing fear for them. That could be one of the kids now. <laughs> See, Paula will be glad when they're all. no, no, no. she really does love you, Hayden. <laughs> But sometimes these are things that happen. These are fears that sort of, you know, can paralyze us. When we think like that, that we get fearful about the future or fearful about a prolonged sickness or fearful about a job redundancy, we're beginning to think that life is all on me and it's all about my self-effort. And how am I going to dig myself out of this hole? Or how am I going to get myself through this challenging season? I'll just fall to pieces. I'll be a mess. I'll be a wreck. These fears can very quickly drive us into these situations as we... Um, maybe let them go there. But look at what Paul says here again in verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The reason why we can confidently face now and the future is that God is working in you and me. God is working in me and in you. God is working in us. God has adopted you and I into his family. We are loved by him. And with his unlimited resources, he's working in you and he's working in me. I'm not on my own. I don't face those challenges on my own. I face them with God because he's working in me. Not outside of me, but in me. Well, you might say, well, what's he doing? Okay, he's working in me. What's he up to? What's God doing if you say he's working in me? This is what he's doing. It says there in this verse that he's working in our will. He's working in our will. What is my will, you may ask? Well, I guess we've all heard of somebody's last will and testament. And if you're like me, you probably get some of those crazy scam emails that say that someone's from Africa or somewhere who's just sent you a Nigerian. You've been the benefactor of somebody's will and you've got so much... English pounds, millions of English pounds coming to you and we all hope maybe one day we do have a rich uncle somewhere who can do that. Well, what's happening here in a will? What is a will when we see there a last will and testament? It's the thoughts, the intentions and the desires of that person after they die, isn't it? I want to write down my thoughts, my intentions and my desires to do with my estate. So, so the will here could be described as... Um, The the inner desires or the inner thoughts or the inner intentions of a person uh, after they die or us. So what is God doing then in our will if he's working there? Well, God is moving in our thoughts. God is moving in our intentions. God is moving through our desires. It's him. The spirit is placing within your mind and my mind thoughts, intentions and desires. Don't ask me how that happens. It's just a supernatural work that the Spirit does, who's now residing within me. But He's giving me and He's giving you thoughts and intentions and desires. Maybe just over the, the Easter break, you could have had a conversation with your neighbour about Easter, and they're going off. And Louis said, Boating, camping, fishing. That's BCF, I don't know. Camping, fishing, and hiking. And they're going to have a great week, and it's going to be fantastic. And they ask you, What are you doing for Easter? And you come back, Well, wow, I've got this thought. And you say, actually, um, we're going to get together with our church and celebrate Easter because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to get together and really celebrate the new life that Jesus gives to us. We love to do that as a body of believers. You might say, well, where's that thought or intention or desire come from? Come from God's Spirit. Prior to being a believer, you would never have had that thought or intention or desire. It just wouldn't have come. But now that you are a believer and God has given you, uh, done this primary work within you, he places that thought. Actually, we're going to celebrate Easter with our, our brothers. And, you may not say brothers and sisters of Christ, but with uh, family and friends. That's where it comes from. The Spirit has placed that thought deep within us. God is moving in our will. He's moving in our thoughts, in our intentions, and in our desires. But it says more than God just being in our will there, doesn't it? It actually says this. It said, God wills and works in us. Not only works in our will, but he also works in us. You might say, well, what does that mean? God works in us. He wills and works. When somebody's working at something, it normally means they're using some type of power to carry out an action, doesn't it? If I've got to shift um, a whole heap of dirt in my backyard, I go get my son to do it. No, 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 no. I'm still using power. I'm just exerting it on someone else. If I need to shift something in the backyard of my house, uh, backyard of my house, of my around my house, whether it's a pile of wood or something, I've actually got to go out there and carry out an action with power. I've got to pick the wood up, stick it in the wheelbarrow or carry it. I'm actually exerting some sort of power uh, through an action. That's what I'm doing. I'm working there. So when it says that God is working in me, it means that God's power is... Working in me. When it says God's working in me, it is God's power that is working through me. The power of the Holy Spirit is enabling me to carry out God's purposes in my life. It could be to carry out those intentions, thoughts, and desires. A sense of conviction from God now empowers me. I I want to follow through this conviction. The conviction may be to really uh, reach out to my next door neighbour and to build a really good relationship with him to spend time talking with him, maybe have some meals together with him with the intention of trying to show Jesus to him and then eventually share Jesus with him in a, in a uh, gospel sense. So God's spirit deepens my convictions and gives me the power to step out perhaps through the uncomfortable zone and uh, do that. God's power is working in me to fulfil these intentions, thoughts and desires. Now, look what Paul says here in Colossians about this. He says this in verse 28, 29 of Colossians 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. But watch this next verse. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Paul gets it. He understands what's happening here. Paul's got a job to do that the Spirit has placed in his mind. For this particular time, he's right into the Colossian church here in Colossians 1. How does Paul do it? He, he toils and he struggles. He's actually doing something. But how's he doing that? With all his energy that he powerfully works in me. God is working in us. He wills and he works. God is working within me with all of his unlimited power. He's providing me the strength to carry on. He's working in me with his power to kill sin and all of its desires, and then to carry out the desires he really does want me to do, and that is to honour and to glorify him through a holy life. Question here could be this: Well, is it just once off? Does God just do this work at the start, and then I'm left on my own, to my own devices? Or does it keep going? Well, look at the word there in verse 13. What's it say? He said, Does it say he worked? Or he works. Now for those of you who have got a bit of English background, I was never very good at English. Works is like a present, active, continuing action, isn't it? It's not once off. So God God is working or he works continually in our lives. So it's happening all the time in an ongoing process. God doesn't leave us on our own with the initial work. He keeps working with us until we breathe our last. It's a continuing action that he carries on here. The question there might be this. So where do I fit in? If God's sort of willing in my mind, he's placing these thoughts and intentions and desires within me. If God is in my will and giving me the power, what am I doing? Am I just like a passenger in a bus and I'm sort of getting driven around and God, you're just doing this? Is that how it is? Is that how it look? It's always hard sometimes to give illustrations here about how God moves in our lives. Even the bus illustration is not a great one because is God the driver, is God the engine, or you know, we can all sort of get caught up in the fine details here. It's a little bit difficult sometimes to do this, but you and I are rational, responsible beings. That's how God's made us. We are not mindless robots. We have the capacity to make willing choices. That's how God has created us. So, despite the weakness of the bus picture, you and I are like a moving bus. We are making decisions. We are making choices. I got up today and I decided to put some clothes on. Then my wife came and said, no, you're not going to put them on. You're going to put these on instead. But I initially made my own choice. <laughs> and then I got overruled. But we make choices. We make choices, don't we? What am I going to have for breakfast? Breakfast. What am I going to have for lunch? We make choices. So we're not mindless robots who, you know, just sort of self-program, here we go. Not that at all. God incredibly, though, guides and directs and gives power to those moving buses. Us, going in different directions, making decisions, going here, going there. Moving people, God is actually uh, guiding them through intentions and thoughts and desires. We move about in life, we make choices. We can't see, um, identify these desires here as, did that come from God, did that come from me? We don't get wrapped up. We actually just go on with life and just do stuff. But we've got to believe that as born again believers, filled with God's spirit, He is actually moving in those thoughts and intentions and desires and he's giving us the power to carry them out. The Holy Spirit's informing those choices as well. And Paul gives a, a very strong hint towards that. Back in verse 12, Paul says this Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. There's a very key word there right in the middle. It says obeyed. What's, what have they obeyed? The Philippians have obeyed the teachings of Paul, and the teachings of Paul at this time we would take to be the New Testament teachings or whatever Paul may have taught them out of the Old Testament. So there is a sense there that our choices are absolutely informed by God's word and by the gospel. Because you can make wrong choices, certainly. I'm not saying every intention, every thought, every desire that comes through your mind is a God one, because you may have a very sinful choice. That's a choice that of your sinful nature made then, but we can inform our mind to make these godly choices, and uh, there it is by obeying the teachings of Christ. So God the Holy Spirit, is the principal work within us, dwelling within us willing and working through us. But we, as moving buses, we act out the miracle of salvation. We actually act out this miracle every day as God moves through our choices and moves through our decisions and gives us the power to carry them out. Now, it's really critical that we get that relationship and understand because of the purposes that God has created us for. And ultimately, what God has created us for is to glorify Him... Through our lives, through those choices, through those intentions and through those desires, the whole weight of the New Testament is that God is preparing our people for him that will glorify him both now and forever. So it's critical we get that relationship here that God is willing and working in us and then out through us to glorify him with the life that he's given to us through those intentions and desires. God is willing and working in us so that we can face the future as people uh, being transformed into the image of Christ to glorify God. So how does this willing and working look? Willing and working, willing and working. Well, Paul helps us to see this here when he goes on further to talk about the Philippians. He says this in verse 14 of the first part of 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. There the first part says in 15. Let's remember who the Philippians are. They're people just like us. Really no different. They're a project. They're a work in progress. They're dealing with sinful choices that are causing a few dramas between them, as we highlighted some of those challenges early on. They're allowing perhaps a sinful, selfish agenda to rise up and cause disharmony amongst them here in the church of Philippi. So what does Paul do? He says, let God will and work in you. Work out the gospel of salvation through your relationships with each other. And Paul's unpacked a fair bit of that gospel early on. He's saying, now let the gospel of Christ work out through your life. Let it actually filter into your relationships. Don't let it cause disharmony and disunity. He says there, do all things without grumbling. All things. Not just the things you might do when you get together on Sunday or whatever day they may have got together, which we believe was Sunday as well. And maybe just don't do all things on Wednesday as well when you get together midweek group. Do all things as in all the time. All things without grumbling. Let the Spirit work in you who's transforming you in your thinking and don't let yourself fall into complaining or murmuring. Grumbling. The best example of that I can get from the Bible is probably with Moses. He wasn't a grumbler or a complainer. But most of the people with him were. He was God's appointed leader to lead them out of Egypt. He had a very difficult task to do: three million people out into the desert. That's where he's got to take them. Very, very challenging. He wasn't out there very long, and the people started to murmur and grumble and complain. What do they do? They formed their little groups in the back tents of the sort of the outer fringes of the uh, of the gathering, and they had a good old wing session. Yeah, you know, this Moses, he is useless. Who does he think he is bringing us all the way out here to try and find some sort of new life, and new promised land? What sort of a bloke is he? Who knows how the grumbling and murmuring took place in those back tents amongst that community? Quite simply, they didn't trust God and they didn't trust God and his appointed leader. They didn't support the leaders that God had given to them. And we can easily do the same, same things. We can easily do the same things. We can look around sometimes within a church and easily have a go at who may be leading a various ministry or whatever. Do they really know what they're doing? I could do a way better job than them. Did you see the way they set that up? Sometimes we don't trust God or support his appointed leadership. Now, praise God, I don't sense that in any way, shape or form here at Exchange and I'm not thinking like that. But that's the sense here of what Paul is talking about. Paul says this, these Philippians also were disputing or questioning as well in, in verse 14. And Paul's point here is, is to, as I looked up the sense of what this word was um, talking about, uh, this disputing was being carried out over matters of opinion and not over matters of significant importance. Like, should we set the chairs long ways or crossways. It's a matter of opinion. Now there could be some practicalities it's worth having a discussion over that but Paul's saying it doesn't become a place where you dig your trenches and have trench warfare across the other side of the room. That's not what it's about, Paul's saying. I was actually at a minister's gathering on Tuesday here in Shepparton and we were told about a church, not here in Shepparton but another church, that went through a major split because two large wooden chairs were removed off the platform and shifted somewhere else within the building. And a number of the people in the church walked out simply because of that. Now that could have been the straw that breaks the camel's back but it just shows you sometimes how matters of opinion become like disputing things and just gets ramped up crazy like and way out of proportion but God would say Paul would say as well uh, let the gospel work in you to set you free from getting up on your high horse about which way the chairs are stacked or what colour the carpet is don't dispute or argue with a sword in hand because you want the colour carpet red or you want the colour carpet blue. Paul's saying that is not what the gospel does when God is willing and working through you. He frees you up from actually getting caught up in this trivial matters. God wants us to be blameless and innocent there, as Paul tells us. It's so incredibly important for the world we live in today. The church, the world needs to see a community just as Paul is describing here. Not murmuring, not complaining, not grumbling, blameless and innocent. A community that God is working through for His good pleasure by His will and by His power in us. And the world really wants to see that. They want to see a community of harmony and unity. They want to witness this despite the differences we all have. They want to see people coming together with these differences but still doing it in a harmonious way. Look what Paul says there in uh, verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. Paul gives us a picture here of the generation they live in which is no different to the generation we live in today and he says there, it's a crooked and twisted generation. What does Paul mean when he says that? Paul is saying that the generation we live in is perverted and corrupted morally. It is. Now, I guess you've all been watching the Commonwealth Games like I've been watching the Commonwealth Games and I I can't really get this, but maybe you could help me. Why, when I watch the Commonwealth Games and particularly the beach volleyball competition, why, why do the ladies run around in a a bra and sort of undies uniform, and the guys wear like a full shirt and full shorts? Can anybody get that? I look at that and say, what is going on there? Here's what's going on: they are sexualising the ladies. I mean, they're worried about um, female abuse and things like that. Well, I mean, you're actually sort of sexualising these young ladies on the TV. But what, what are young men supposed to think as they're watching this competition? Doesn't it sort of give a twisted or perverted or immoral sort of look? This is the generation we live in. I, I don't get that. But here's Paul's point. That's the world we live in. We can't do anything about it as the way they might conduct this sport. But here's what we can do, is we have a chance to shine like lights. We have a chance to allow the gospel to work its way out through our lives and to shine. As we let the Spirit of God will and work in us, transforming us through the gospel, we will stand out as different from the rest of society. They will look in and see a community of people who do have differences they are, They do have different tastes and different ideas, and go in a different directions. But yet, they can be unified together, even putting others ahead of themselves. They look and they see this community that actually really are unified around something. They see that. They should see that, because we're indwelt by God, who's willing and working through us, so that we can shine like lights. That we have these relationships that aren't pulled apart by grumbling or matters of, over matters of opinion. But we allow God's spirit to reshape our hearts by obedience to the gospel and we begin to shine in comparison to the world that we live in. This becomes a really incredible point of the missional aspect we have as a church. It's critical that we are light bearers, that we truly are shining into this world where we live. We live in a post-Christian world. It really doesn't aspire to Christian values and morals. It's actually fast-moving away from it. It's actually opposing Christian values and morals and thinking in many ways. So it's critical that, we, that, that the Christians allow God to will and to work within us so that we will shine for Christ and we will become something that is attractive to this world. As this happens, we will see perhaps hearts soften to us. And maybe with God's love flowing freely between us, more people will see this shining coming out of us and they'll become more softened to us. And maybe they may just ask us, "Wise, what do you have? What do you have that seems to be radiated out of your lives here for the glory of God? This will be attractive and it's critically important that we can do that as uh, his people. Let me finish with this last scripture here as we uh, just wrap up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 5 and 6 um, Paul says this, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the light that He's shining to us. We now get to reflect that light of the gospel out into the community where we live. And we do that by God willing and working in and through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we uh, can gather around your word. And thank you today for uh, the light of the gospel that you have shone into our hearts. Thank you that you are working in us. And that, Lord, you are giving us the power to work out through our lives every element of the gospel. Father, we ask and pray today you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit with all those choices and decisions that we make every day, Lord. Sometimes, who knows, thousands of choices we're making. Help us to be obedient to what Christ has said, to inform those choices and then to make those choices which will allow you to be glorified through our lives. So, Lord, we truly will shine. We truly will shine amongst a twisted and crooked generation that we live in. Lord, the love that you've given to us and abound in our hearts will shine out and it will draw people to your Son, Lord, to receive that same love and to receive that same gospel power working in them. Father, we thank you for Philippians today and pray, keep working this deep in our hearts and keep helping us to work it out into everyday lives. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I might just have one song to finish, guys. Uh, Thank you very much. If you've got.